welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Welcome once again. I believe that the church is the most powerful force in the universe, us gathering together both in the temple and from house to house. And so I'm really believing for something supernatural to happen in your household, something supernatural to happen in your family. I believe that in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, God promises us that our whole household will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your whole household will be saved. What a powerful promise. I'm believing for all my family members to know Jesus Christ, to know his love, to know the love of God. I'm believing for all of my extended relatives to know Jesus Christ and to know his love and to know his beautiful sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. And I'm believing for you and all your families and all your household and all your relatives. There's nothing more important than going to heaven when we die. There's nothing more important than being with God forever in heaven. There is nothing more important that Jesus died for than to create a way for us to go to be with the father. And that's why I want to continue to talk about heaven with you. You know, heaven is the greatest, most beautiful place in the universe and or beyond the universe. It's above and beyond the universe that we know and the universe that we understand. And there's three heavens the Bible talks about. There's the heavens that are what's right above us, what we can see in our in our atmosphere and even in the solar system and the galaxies that we can see. And then there's the second heaven, which is the place where spiritual warfare takes place, It's the place where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then there's the third heaven, which is the actual place that believers go when they die. And I want to talk about that place because I believe that we should always know about the place. If you were going on a vacation and you were going to find a a place, a hotel somewhere in some city, you'd want to see pictures of it first. You'd want to know where you're headed. You want to know why it's important to go to that destination. What is so valuable about that place? What is so great about going to that place? Sure, you'd read reviews from people who have been to that place before, and we can read reviews in the Bible about people that have actually been to heaven and that have seen glimpses of heaven. In the book of Revelation, we see glimpses of heaven in passages that Jesus talked about in John, Chapter 14, John, Chapter 15, John, Chapter 16, Chapter 17. Jesus talks about heaven and he talks about preparing a place for us there. In fact, it's so important that he says in John, Chapter 14, verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would I would have told you, but I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself and that where I am there, you may be also. What a powerful promise that Jesus made. So I want to talk to you about the seven most beautiful truths about heaven, the seven most beautiful truths about heaven. And the first one is the most important one. And it is this, that our heavenly father is in heaven waiting for us. Our heavenly father is in heaven waiting for us. Throughout scripture, we see Jesus describing God as our heavenly father. Your heavenly father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Our heavenly father, our father, which art in heaven. This is where God lives. Heaven is God's home. Heaven is where we can call home. Heaven is where we're going to go home to. We're not home yet here on this earth, but heaven is where our true home is because it's with our heavenly 
father. And it's so important that we understand the beauty that we're going to experience in heaven because it's worth dying for. The first thing I want to tell you about heaven is that our heavenly father is waiting for us there. And by the way, not only is our heavenly father waiting for us there, for us there, he is happy there. Heaven is the happiest place in all of the universe. God is the happiest being in all of the universe, and he wants us to share his joy. Many places in scripture that the Bible talks about the fullness of joy, the fullness of experiencing Jesus joy. He said, I write these things to you. I say these things to you that your joy may be made full. He says, I want to give you the power to pray and receive the answer to your prayer. So your joy would be made full. So there's something very powerful and something very joyful about just having a glimpse of heaven, just having a, a taste of heaven on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. It brings joy. It brings supernatural peace. It brings such thorough and complete happiness. And who doesn't want to be happy? Everybody in this world wants to go somewhere where they're going to be happy. People don't go to bars to be depressed. They go to bars to be happy. People don't go. See, I'm not saying whether you should go or not. That's not the point. People go there to be happy. People go on vacation to be happy. People go home from work to be happy. People have people in their lives to be happy. Everybody wants to go somewhere that will make them happy. There's no happier place. They talk about how Disney World, Disneyland is the happiest place on Earth. Well, it may be the happiest place on Earth, but it is not the happiest place in the universe or in the world. And frankly, heaven is the happiest place and God's presence is the happiest place, both us in his presence and his presence in us, which is something we should constantly be aware of. It'll change the trajectory of our life. It'll change the, the attitude of our life. It'll change the, the emotion of our life when we are more aware that God's presence is with us, where two or three are gathered. Jesus said there, I am in the midst of them and that we, you and me are the temple of the living God. So his presence dwells in us. We have access to his presence through the blood of Jesus and only through the blood of Jesus. And so that brings supernatural joy. It brings supernatural happiness. If you would be conscientious of God's presence, if you would remind yourself that you're in God's presence. Remind yourself that God's presence is in you. You would have a joy and a happiness that would overcome anything you're facing on this earth, anything that you're facing in this life. God's presence is the greatest force in this world. God's presence is the greatest source of joy and the greatest source of happiness that this world could ever know. And we get to enjoy his presence, both living inside of us and dwelling among us. And that's why we're better together and we're more powerful together. And we experience more of God's presence together now. So the first thing that I want you to know is our heavenly father is in heaven waiting for us and he's happy there. He's really, truly happy there. We're not going to be running into the arms of a miserable God. We're going to be running into the arms of a joyful father it says about him in Zechariah or excuse me, Zephaniah, it says about God in Zephaniah, chapter three, verse 17. The Lord, your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
he will he will rejoice over you with singing. Does that sound like a miserable God? Does that sound like an angry God? Does that sound like a God who's unhappy and who needs you to do something to make him happy? No, he doesn't need any of that. I want to read that to you again. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. he will rejoice over you with gladness. He's rejoicing over you. He's happy about you. He's excited about you. You bring him joy. He will rejoice over you with singing. It says he will quiet you with his love. It will bring calm. It'll bring peace and he will rejoice over you with singing. You see, when we get to heaven and we see our father there, he's not going to be miserable. He's going to be singing. He's not going to be sad. He's going to be happy. He's not going to be angry. He's going to be full of love. The prodigal son that came home did not come to home to the judgment of his father. He came home to the grace of his father. He came home to the love of his father. He came home to the generosity of his father. He came home to the forgiveness of his father. He came home to the embrace of his father. That is what it's going to be like when we go home to be with God, when we go home to be with Jesus. He's there waiting for us, preparing a place for us, and he's happy there. And he wants you to be happy that you're going there. He wants you to rejoice that you're going there. And he wants you to pray for others so that we get them going there, too. There's no greater responsibility that we have in this earth than to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be ambassadors that are introducing people to be reconciled to God, that Jesus paid with his own blood to reconcile us to God, to pay our debt so that each and every one of us can be the righteousness of God, be reconciled to him and go home to heaven one day. You know, when we really think about the beauty of heaven, when we really think about these beautiful truths of heaven, there's nothing more important than the fact that the father's there. But we need to also know that this beauty of heaven is worth dying for. The second truth that I want you to hear and understand about heaven is this worth dying for. It was so worth dying for that Jesus actually died for it. <laughs> he actually did die so that we could go to heaven. Jesus faced the cross knowing that he would go back to be with the father. He knew where he was going because that's where he came from. And so he knew the only way back to heaven was through death. Once he had become a man, the only way back was through death. And Jesus was not only willing to die, but gladly willing to die, gladly willing to die, not so that he could get there because he was always going back there, but so that we could get there and that he would be the bridge for us to get to heaven. You see, heaven is so beautiful, it's worth dying for. You know, maybe some of you have had loved ones who have gotten saved and they were dying. If you've ever been with a loved one, a family member, a friend who was close to death. And how many of us know we believe in the laying on of hands? We believe laying hands on the sick and they'll recover. But how many of us have ever loved one that we've prayed for them? We've laid hands on them. We've asked the church to pray for them. We've made special requests for others to pray for them, and yet they still died. 
Why is it that they still died? Did our faith not work? No, I don't believe that's the reason. I believe the reason is, is because at some point they tasted and saw a glimpse of heaven at some point as they were dying and while they were sick, at some point they saw a taste. They felt they tasted a taste. They saw a glimpse. They felt a moment of eternity and they didn't want to come back. They didn't want to be healed. They didn't want to be returned to their body. There was somewhere in the in in between the them dying and in between them, their their consciousness on earth and and their consciousness of heaven somewhere in between those split seconds or moments. They saw that glimpse and they made their decision. I'm not going back. Paul said, I have the choice to depart from here and be with Christ. It would be better for me to depart from here and be with Christ. But I'm going to stay here for your sakes, because I want to bring more people to Jesus. I want to bring more people to heaven. I want to bring more people into this love. I want to bring more people into this relationship. I want to bring more people into this celebration. Oh, the beauty of heaven is worth dying for, gang. The beauty of heaven is worth dying for. How beautiful is it there? Well, we don't need to try to be in awe of heaven. We don't need to try to be in awe of God when we see him, when we catch a glimpse of him, when we catch a glimpse of heaven, we will be in awe. We will be speechless. The Bible says that John fell like a dead man in the book of Revelation when he saw the angel that came to him to give him the the revelation that he would write and later become the book of Revelation. He fell as a dead man. He He wasn't dead, but he fell as a dead man. He was speechless. He was in awe. He was in utter awe of God's presence just because he was in the presence of the angel of the Lord. You know, in Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse six and seven, it says there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due for among all the wise men of the nations and in their kingdoms, there is none like you. There is none like you. Boy, when you could be a prophet who could see the world's kingdoms and compare them to the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God, you would also say, like Jeremiah said, who wouldn't be in awe of you? Because there is none like you. All the kings and all their kingdoms and all of their glory are nothing compared to you. What a beautiful picture of the awe of heaven and the presence of God and Jesus himself and our heavenly father. I love what it says in Revelation, chapter 21, verse 22, when John saw heaven coming down from earth, the new heavens and the new earth, which I'll get to in a moment. He said, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean will be there. No one 
who practices abomination, lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life, gang. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, because in Revelation chapter 13, it says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world and you were chosen before the foundation of the world. So your name, Ephesians chapter one, verse four, you were called and chosen before the foundation of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world. That means that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the beginning of the universe, before the foundation of the world. And our names are only blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life when we reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what causes us to be abominable and causes us to be liars, to deny Jesus, to reject Jesus as Savior and Lord is to lie and to and to proclaim that he's not Lord. And yet he is. And the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, the beauty of heaven, I don't want you to miss this. It's irresistible. Once you see it, it becomes irresistible. In first John, chapter three, verse two, he says, beloved, now we are children of God and has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But we know when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We will see him just as he is. And we will be transformed completely. When he appears, we're going to be made like him because we're going to be. He is our father. And the Bible says father means not only is it provider, protector, but father also means to create the likeness of. He has the potential to make a father has the potential to create something in his likeness. So when we see him, when he appears, we will be just like him. Now, we're already like him in Christ and in our spirit, but our soul, our minds and our bodies, when he appears, we will become like him just because we will see him just as he is. And it will cause the conformity to his glory instantaneously. Well, I don't want to get distracted on that, but I want you to know that when you see him, you won't be able to take your eyes off of him. It'll be impossible for you to get your eyes unglued from his glory. When you see how beautiful, how holy, how love he is, how much love he is, how happy he is, how endearing that he is, how inviting that he is, how approachable that he is. He's all that the Bible says he is in all of his holiness and all of his glory and all of his splendor. But in all of that, he's approachable in all of that. He's approachable because while he stands as king over angels and stands as king over nations and stands as king over universes, he stands as father to you and to me. What a beautiful picture that we get of what heaven is going to be like. Who wouldn't want to go there? Who wouldn't want others to go there? The third thing I want to say to you about heaven is heaven will continually get better. Heaven will continually get better. 
You'd think when Jesus was on this earth, we had the best of the best. And it's true. We did have the best of the best when Jesus was on this earth. But in John, chapter 14, 28, Jesus says something about the father and about heaven. He said, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the father because the father is greater than I. Imagine that when Jesus comes to this earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And yet here he says, I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. In other words, what you've seen, what you've felt, what you've touched with me, you're going to see and feel and touch something even greater than what you what you have currently seen, felt and touched. What a glorious day that's going to be. The disciples, they touched Jesus. They could touch the hem of his garment. They could they could hug him. They could kiss him. They could they could feel him and touch his hands. They could be touched by his hands and healed and set free and delivered. And yet. He says what you've seen and what you've heard and what you felt from me, you're going to see and hear and feel so much more because the father is greater than I. In other words, what you've experienced, what the disciples experienced, heaven's going to be better. What we've experienced in our relationship with God, as great as it's been, heaven's going to be better and it's going to continue to get better. You think God ever stops making things better? I don't believe that he ever does. In fact, there's a place here that I believe where God shows us that things are always going to get better. He's always going to be creating new things that for you and me are better, but they're just more a glimpse of his fullness. They're more a manifestation of the fullness of God. I hope, boy, I hope this, this is going right into my heart as I'm talking about it. I hope it doesn't go over your head and I hope it goes into your heart. It may sound like, you know, crazy stuff, but Man, if you can believe that in a God, if you can believe that people live in other countries that you've never seen before and live in other parts of the world that you've never seen before, if you can believe somebody says to you, hey, I'll meet you at such and such restaurant at such and such a time, if we can believe the witness of people, how much more should we be able to believe what God has told us about heaven, what God has told us, what we're going to experience, what we're going to see, what we're going to feel, what we're going to have there? It's just going to get better and better and better. You know, in Revelation, chapter 21, verse one, John says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, any crying or any pain for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write these words because they are faithful and true. We could just keep going in this verse. But if you go back to verse one, just that thought, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first one had passed away. That's going to happen. In other words, as great as heaven is, and that's where believers go when we die. God's making a better one. 
he's going to give us a new one and a new earth. And I don't know how we're going to travel back and forth, but we're going to be able to travel back and forth somehow, some way. You say, why is this so important to talk about it? I don't know. As I as I get older, perhaps I I'm thinking more about heaven or perhaps we're in a season where we're coming to the end of the age. We're coming to the end of the world as we know it. Boy, a lot of things in this world has changed to where we could say we're in a world that we never knew before. In a world that maybe we're coming into the days where the believers will be caught up with the Lord in the air in first Thessalonians chapter four, where he talks about that. Maybe those days we know those days are closer to us now than they ever have been. With each passing day, we're closer to heaven. With each passing day, we're closer to the rapture. With each passing day, we're closer to being caught up with the Lord in the air. So I guess with each passing day, we should be more encouraged about the hope that we have, that we will be with him forever. Heaven is not a place to be worried about, to be thinking about the judgment that's going to come upon you. No, because I want to get to my next point. And that is not only will heaven continually get better. But believers who get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we will be rewarded. We don't have to worry about being judged. We're going to be rewarded, not judged. Now, I'll talk to you about what what will determine our reward. But I want you to understand that believers will not be judged in heaven. There is several judgments in the Bible. One of them is the judgment will experience. But there's also the great white throne judgment that the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, and that is the judgment of unbelievers who have rejected Jesus and that you'll never stand in front of that throne of judgment as a believer, as a child of God. You never stand before the great throne of judgment, the great white throne. You'll never stand before that because God will never be your judge because you accepted Jesus, his son. God will never be your judge because he's your father. Now, God will never be your judge because the ruler of this world has been judged and you have been born again. And Jesus, when he comes back a second time, will come back without reference to our sin because he already paid for our sin the first time he came. But more importantly, or what will help you even more to understand this point is the Bible says in Romans, chapter 14, verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians five, verse 10 says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's important that you see this verse because he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason why we know this is different than the great white throne judgment is because in Revelation chapter 20, verse four, he talks about the great white throne judgment. And that's for those who are to be judged because they rejected Jesus at the end of the thousand year reign of Jesus, the thousand year millennial reign of Jesus. When he comes back to this earth, we will reign with him for one thousand years. At the end of that time, the world will be judged for rejecting whoever rejects Jesus. 
and whoever has not accepted him will stand before the great white throne of judgment, not the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is that your sins. That's the place where your sins have been judged. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ is where your sins have already been judged because Jesus became sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. Any man belongs to Christ. If any man is in him, he's a new creature. So if any man is in Christ, we're new creatures, right? So the judgment seat of Christ, first of all, is that you are not going to be judged because Jesus Christ took the judgment for you. The judgment seat of Christ is the place where you will never again have to question whether you're the righteousness of God. You don't have to question that now when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ is that you've already passed through the judgment and then there will be rewards so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He will be recompensed. That means he will be the word is rewarded and the judgment seat in this passage of scripture is only used twice in the Bible. Second Corinthians five, ten and Romans chapter 14, verse 10, the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word is the word Bema, B-E-M-A. And why is it important that we understand this is the seat, the judgment seat that we will come to come before? Why is that so important that we understand that? Because it is the word Bema or Bema, B-E-M-A, was used in classic Greek writing to identify the judge's seat in the arena of the Olympic Games, the judgment seat in the arena of the Olympic Games. So when uh, when there would when they would have the Olympics, the Bema seat, it was the seat where the judge sat not to punish the contestants that contested and that competed in the Olympics, but to reward them, not to punish them. There's never a punishment for being in the Olympic Games. If you lost, you weren't punished. You just didn't have you didn't win the gold or the silver or the bronze or whatever kind of medals or what kind of trophies that they used back in that day of when the Olympics were in their infant stages of in the Roman empires. This was not a judgment seat to punish. This was a judgment seat to reward. And I'll give you the verse for that and what that looks like in First Corinthians three, verse nine through verse 15. For we are all laborers together, fellow workers in God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. Paul says, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as by fire. In other words, both people, if your works 
that you build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ are the works that we do, the things that we do in response to what he's done for us. Those are our works. We will be rewarded for our works if we have built gold, silver and precious stones that can endure fire. If the quality of what we've produced with the gifts that God has given us, with the faithfulness that God has given us, if the quality of of our works is something that is of gold, of silver and of precious stones, it will endure the fire and you'll be rewarded accordingly. But if your works are wood, hay and stubble, guess what? When wood, hay and stubble goes through fire, it's burned. When gold, silver and precious stones go through fire, they're refined. When when wood, hay and stubble, which is what he describes here, when as the alternative to gold, silver and precious stones, when wood, hay and stubble is burned or goes through fire, it it it's it's burned. It's they're burned up forever. But he will be saved still though as through fire. So this is the Bema seat of Christ, where our works are rewarded or our works. The rewards that we should have received from our works are lost because our works were not silver, gold and precious stones. You'll be glad you're still there in heaven. You'll be thankful that you're there. But this brings clarity for what it is that we're judged for. Our works are judged for reward's sake, not judge for salvation's sake, judge for reward's sake. And that should encourage us that we don't have to do anything for God under the pressure of our salvation being lost or suffering. But we should also equally be responsible with what God has given us so that we will not out of fear, be faithful with what we have, but out of looking forward to the rewards that come for being faithful with what we have. When you're faithful with a little, God will put you in charge over much. That's not just here in this earth, but that's in eternity as well. So there are so many great things about going to heaven. But one thing you need to know about going to heaven is you will not be judged by God because he says in John chapter five, Verse 24, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's a beautiful promise. So you don't have to be afraid, but you should be responsible and say, God, I want to bring to you works that have truly been glorious works of gold, silver and precious stones. That means our faithfulness. That means doing what will last through eternity, what will pass through fire, winning souls, honoring God, being faithful, forgiving people, being kind, um, going after the hurting, using your gifts for his glory through giving and serving. And these are works of gold, silver and precious stones. People, these are beautiful works that will have rewards on the other side of heaven. But you won't be judged with punishment because Jesus took that for you. So be encouraged and be at peace, but be looking forward and expectant. And let's get busy, not with busyness, but let's get active in doing what matters, doing what endures, doing the things 
and living for the things that last for eternity, souls, 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 the church, the body of Christ, winning people to Jesus, encouraging people and strengthening them, being a source of encouragement to them. Well, I'm just about out of time, so I'll just close with number five. I already talked about it last week. Heaven is the place of no mores. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more bad news, no more politics, no more politicians, no more wars, no more fear, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more addiction. None none of that will exist. There will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more starvation, no more strife, no more loneliness, no more arguments, no more discord, no more accidents, no more greed, no more jealousy, no more envy, no more selfishness or arrogance or pride, no more misunderstandings, no more quarrels, no more disagreements, no more disunity, no more injustice, no more racism, no more inequality, no more hurt feelings, no more gossip, no more hurtful words, no more disappointments no more worry, no more emptiness, no more abuse. Heaven will be a place of no mores, and we should be believing for on Earth as it is in heaven for there to be no more of many of those things. Some some of these things there will always be on this Earth, but some of them we can believe that they won't continue to exist in your life or your family's life or my life or my family's life. And number six, heaven is where, as I've already said, the seven most beautiful truths about heaven. Number six, heaven is where believers go when they die. When you leave this planet, you go home. You're not home yet. When you die, you go home. And for we know the Bible says in Second Corinthians, chapter five, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So be of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Verse eight says so whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him by living by faith, faith in the fact that we're going there faith in the fact that his word is true, faith in the fact that his love never fails, faith in the fact that if you win souls, you're wise faith in the fact that when to be absent from this body is to be present and to be at home, at home with the Lord. This is our house. Your body is your house for now. The church is the house for the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. But then we will be home when we get to heaven. We will be home because we will be with him. And finally, number seven, there is nothing that you can do to get there on your own. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing anybody can do to get to heaven on their own. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. The only way to get to heaven is through faith in Jesus sacrifice for our sins. What about those who have done these great works for the Lord? Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you because doing things for God does not equal knowing him. The only way to know him is to know Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord. That's how you will know him. That's how he will know you. 
not by our works, but by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And so I want to pray for those of you that are connected right now and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord, pray this out loud after me and everybody pray this with us. And this can be the difference between eternity and hell without where God's presence does not exist and eternity in heaven where his presence does exist forever and ever and ever. Pray this with me, Heavenly Father, just pray that you want to be sure you're going to heaven, right? Heaven is the most beautiful place in the universe. Heavenly Father, I believe. Come on, say that with me. Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I'm a child of God. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all from all my sin. And I am going to go home to be with you one day in Jesus name. Amen. Congratulations if you prayed that prayer. If you did, please let me know. Write me, contact me through social media, through our phone number, through our websites, through the platform you're on and download the free book that is available to you right where you're watching. You can see you can download it anywhere in the world. The power of a new life. Take advantage of that. It's my free gift to you. And these are the next steps in this journey of walking with God and knowing him as your heavenly father. I love you guys. I bless each and every one of you. I believe for miracles and healings and blessing to flow an overflow into your life. And we'll see you at our next service. God bless.